You're listening to Deliberate Living, a podcast that inspires, empowers, and encourages listeners to live life more authentically. My name is Holly Priestley, and I'm a full-time nomad and writer who has been living in my 1997 Ford van since January 1st of 2019. I travel the United States with my dog, learning how to live with more authenticity. I explore different ways people choose to ditch the prescribed life we've all been sold and live on their terms, finding freedom and happiness however they Welcome to another episode of the Deliberate Living Podcast. I am your host, Holly Priestley, and this week uh, I'm going to give a basic rundown of dispersed camping. Um, Essentially, I'm going to talk about how you find dispersed camping. I'm going to talk about how you be a good steward on the land that you are dispersed camping on, and I'm going to talk about how to be a good neighbor to the people that you are dispersed camping next to. So it is kind of an overall Dispersed Camping 101. Uh, Summer is right around the corner. Uh, Memorial Day is usually the kickoff to everybody camping. And if last year is any indication, people are starting to get outside more and more. um, And they are looking for more ways to be outside other than, you know, your standard campground experience. And that's fine. I certainly don't have a problem with more people enjoying the outdoors. I just want to make sure that it's being done right. And I think most of the time, uh, education is is needed. Um, and so I want to share some of the ways that I found dispersed camping when I first started um, living in the van and living off of public lands and really needing those resources. Um, I want to share, you know, which apps I used, etc. But then I also want to talk about how to be a good human being out on the land. So that's what we're going to dive into this week. But before we do, I just want to remind everybody that this is not a sponsored podcast in any way. I will never have any ads for you. This is 100% audience supported. And so if you want to support the podcast in whatever way, shape, or form you want to, there are a number of ways you can do that. If you want to help offset some of the costs that go into producing the podcast and helping it stay ad-free, I have a PayPal and a Venmo set up. Uh, They are always linked in the description and in the show notes. I also have recently uh, restarted my Patreon. I think it's actually been like a month or so now, so maybe it's not so recent, but um, it's still a really fun thing for me to do. And that's another way you can support the show. Uh, And then you get some, you know, behind the scenes access. You get to see, um, you know, these little daily messages that I post. I make them for myself every single day, and then I also share them to the Patreon group. Um, And then I share some other random tidbits here and there. Um, I will be doing some, you know, live stream FAQs in the future. If you have any questions you want me to answer for one of those, uh, send me a message and I will do that. But those are some of the ways that you can support the show. If you're unable to support the show financially, again, there are so many ways you can help us get seen by more people and help get the word out. Um, if you like the show, give it a thumbs up, give it a five stars, whatever it is on the platform that you're consuming it on, that will help the algorithms to see it and help us get seen by people who are searching for our subjects, maybe all about dispersed camping. Um, And if you know someone who is considering dispersed camping or could benefit from one of my previous interviews or one of the other previous episodes, you can share that episode directly with them. And that would be another really, really excellent way to support the show. And again, I guess I don't talk about this too, too often, but um, I do create the show in 
all of the mediums. It is an audio medium and findable on any podcasting app. It is a video medium and findable on my YouTube channel. And it is a written medium. I do written articles every week as well. And that is available on my website. Those are not just transcripts. They're just standalone articles. Nobody wants to read a transcript. That's boring. So that's not how I make them. But I do want the information, the stories, uh, the education, the experiences, etc. to be available to as many people as possible. So I try to create them in as many forms as possible. And if you share them with others, that's just going to help me share it with more people. And that's going to keep the show going. So again, thank you all for being here. And um, yeah, why don't we dive into dispersed camping, the hows, the whys, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, so we're just going to jump into the good stuff, the meat of the episode right off the bat, finding dispersed camping. Finding free places to camp out on public lands that have maybe a little bit more space and maybe a little bit more freedom, but you know, generally fewer amenities. Uh, over the last two plus years of living in the van, my systems for finding free places to camp have certainly evolved. Um, and while I'm not going to share, you know, my current robust paid for systems, um, I am going to share the, you know, like basic free options that I used when I was first looking for dispersed camping. I don't know about y'all, but free is generally a good option for me. I'm always looking for the free ways to do things. And if I'm looking for free camping, I would like to do that through a free app. Once you've been doing dispersed camping for a little while uh, and learned the ropes and exhausted all of the free options, then you can take the more advanced boondocking courses uh, and level up your technologies. But like I said, this is about the first few apps that I used and the, my first few systems for getting acquainted. And those were iOverlander free campsites and uh, free roam, plus a few others. But those were the main ones that I used. iOverlander free campsites and free roam are actually uh, like crowdsourced websites where people can go in and share where they've been and what they experienced when they were there. Um, and so that means that other human beings have actually gone to these spots and deemed them worthy of putting on the app or the website. So it's not just like some random ass place that you found online, but other people have actually been there. And so, you know, that said, occasionally the information about the spots can be a little bit outdated. They might not be open to free camping anymore, etc., etc. So being crowdsourced certainly has advantages and disadvantages. When I'm looking for a site on one of these apps, I'm generally looking for, you know, the proximity to where I want to go or what I want to do, um, what amenities, if any, the site comes with. Uh, and usually these apps or the comments themselves will say, like, this had great solar or great shade or good service or a pit toilet or water nearby or something like that. They will tell you what is available there and what the site was actually like. Oftentimes they also include photos of the site in general so that you can get an idea of what you're driving into, which can be really useful. Um, so I look at all of those things and then I also look at the recency of like the visitors themselves. And so of course not everyone who stops by a site will update the app or the website with a comment, but some of them do. And so, you know, if I'm looking at a site on I overlander free campsites or free roam. Um, and the last comment about it 
um, was from, you know, 2016 or something, like I generally have my reservations about whether it's still a viable option. But if the last comment was, you know, from like February or, you know, some just a few months ago, uh, I'm more willing to like trust its validity. And so a really important thing when it comes to finding dispersed campsites, especially using these apps, um, is to have backups in mind and have backups for your backups. The site that you want, the site that you're looking for on your app, uh, may not be open to overnight camping anymore. Or, you know, it could be taken by another camper already. There might be somebody there and you can't park there. Or you might get there and then determine upon arrival that you actually don't want to camp there at all. Um, it's not going to be a good spot to fit your needs. So there are a lot of reasons a campsite might not work for you. And it's a really good idea to have backups already in mind, maybe even already plugged into your GPS. Because having backups can really help like alleviate stress that comes with, you know, a change in plans. Um, and it can help you navigate if they're already in your GPS, um, you know, if you're out of service by the time you get to this site. And knowing other options that are nearby and how to find them ahead of time can help you like keep your sanity and know where you need to go next. So again, I will link to iOverlander free campsites and free roam in the description um, and in the show notes. This is not sponsored by any of them. These are just the apps that I used. They're free for you to use, and they could be a really good place to just kind of get started with finding free places to camp on public lands near you or on a road trip that you want to take this summer. So the second thing I really want to dive into with this episode all about dispersed camping is how to be a good steward of the land. And I really wish this section like didn't have to be said, um, but based on my experience and the experiences of my boondocking friends, it really, really needs to be said. So being a good steward of the land has a lot of different um, components to it. Uh, the first one being that you pick up after yourself. And maybe you pick up also after your neighbors and your predecessors. It means, you know, that you don't light fires that shouldn't be there. You don't break branches. You don't pick flowers. You don't carve your initials into trees. You don't dump your gray water. You don't leave bullet casings. You don't drive over crypto soil or other delicate landscapes. If we can't take care of our public lands, we won't be able to keep using them. The land won't be there anymore and won't be usable, uh, and the powers that be will shut them down and won't let people like us use them at all if we can't take care of it. When people leave trash behind at a campsite, not only is it really ugly and disappointing to the next person, it's really harmful to the environment. Even if it seems like a small thing, it's really quite harmful to the environment. Animals will get in the trash, they will eat the trash, they will spread the trash further and further around the wilderness. They will ingest the plastics and the styrofoams and the papers and the chemicals and the waxes and the stickers and, you know, all kinds of things they're not supposed to eat. This will make them sick and it might even kill them. Animals that are used to eating trash lose their fear of humans. And while this might be cute for a little chipmunk to come up to your hand and take a peanut out of it, it's not cute for a bear. And animals die when they lose their fear of humans. They either get killed by the humans themselves, they get killed by dogs, they get killed by cars, they get killed by all kinds of stuff when they get too close because they're looking for food and they're not afraid of the humans and the other creatures that leave them behind. Trash in the woods or the desert really harms the environment. 
It won't biodegrade. It'll leave a lasting impact on the foliage and the soils. It'll get in the water systems and it'll kill fish and birds and beavers and otters and all other water-loving critters, which is all critters. <laughs> and I've rolled up to more than a few campsites and found fire pits loaded with trash, which I always find very peculiar, but it's so common. And like a fire pit is not a trash can. Don't burn plastics. Don't burn anything that isn't organic matter. Don't burn beer cans or bottles or disposable spoons or any of that shit. One time I even found like an entire car manual that was like half burned. And so the pages were just blowing in the breeze and making more mess. And like, that's not safe. And it's not safe to leave fires like that. It's not safe to leave trash like that. And like combining the two is just so bizarre to me, but it happens a lot. So don't leave any trash behind, and if you can, pick up a bag or two or three of other people's trash when you find it. That is the right thing to do. And being a good steward of the land also means that when it comes to bathroom time, you have to have a plan. Different environments will require different plans, so do your research. Drier landscapes can't handle being used as a bathroom like wetter landscapes can, and none of them should be used without digging a hole. Do not be a surface shitter. Do not be a surface shitter. Do not take a poop on top of the ground and leave it there. Do not take a poop on top of the ground and put a rock on top of it. Do not take a poop on top of the ground. Anywhere. Don't do it. Dig a hole at least six inches deep. Poop in that. Fill it back in. Cover it up. Cover it up really well. And in most cases, it is best not to bury your toilet paper. I know it's really gross at first, but you will get used to it, I promise. <laughs> Packing your toilet paper matters. There is no toilet paper fairy. And it seems like a lot of people have this belief that toilet paper is like cotton candy. And if it gets wet, it'll just melt and like disappear entirely. And it doesn't do that. It does like melt and form to the shape of whatever is underneath it. But it doesn't disappear at all. And it just gets even harder to clean up and more ugly and more damaging to the environment. So please pack out your toilet paper. It's gross at first but I swear you'll get used to it and you will be doing a huge favor to the environment and the people who come after you. Before you go camping, have a plan for dealing with your shit and your urine. Urine is an interesting thing too. Um, I've seen a lot of people have pee jugs, pee bottles, pee containers, um, and then they dump them on plants as if, you know, you're watering the plants. And that's not exactly how it works. The chemical makeup of urine is not like the chemical makeup of water. And so it won't help the plants. And in most cases, it will actually harm the plants, especially in the desert where water is not like as readily available. So many people think like, oh, I'm just going to go water this cactus with my urine. But you're don't do that. It's hurting the cactus. It's hurting the trees. Don't do it. Dump your urine bottles on like sandy or rocky ground where there aren't a lot of plants. Make sure it's really, really far away from water. Yeah, just urine does not help plants. That's not how you do that. So the first rule of dispersed camping is to be a good steward of the land because you want to keep using it. Because you have some semblance of respect for the animals and the trees and the cacti and the rivers that live there. And because the person who comes after you wants to enjoy the land too and not clean up after somebody else. So after being a good steward of the land, we have to be good neighbors to the people we're camped by. Sometimes when you roll up to a dispersed camping spot, you're the only one around for miles and miles and miles. And you know this because you've driven for miles and you haven't seen anybody. 
And sometimes when you roll up to a dispersed spot, you have neighbors on all sides of you. And so you need to be aware of those things. But what I'm going to talk about next about being a good neighbor really pertains more to the latter situation where you know you're not the only person out there. Rule number one of being a good neighbor is to give people space. One thing I've noticed over the years is that often the folks who are newer to boondocking don't always know the unspoken guidelines um, around giving each other space. In regular campgrounds, you have a designated site, usually fairly close to your neighbors, sometimes so close that you can even like touch each other if you walk between them. Sometimes you can't even walk between rigs because they're so close together. Camping on public lands is often not this way. People will go camping on public lands uh, because they want space from those around them. And that's like kind of a big thing. Um, now, granted, some dispersed areas don't allow for people to have a really wide bubble. I've camped on some like river fronts and like canyon cliffs that require campers to kind of park like relatively close to each other, almost as if a regular campground or um, like a parking lot. Um, and I've camped in places where, you know, I have thousands of feet, maybe even miles between me and my next neighbors. So a good rule of thumb for giving people space is to give people as much space as you can. Sometimes it means you can give hundreds or thousands of feet, and sometimes it means you give like a car length. Give whatever space you possibly can for the area that you find yourselves in. Rule number two of being a good neighbor is to confine your noise to your space. Most of the time, being in nature like this is celebratory and it's a vacation and you know you want to enjoy yourself you want to listen to your music laugh with your friends enjoy your rig and your campsite and all that stuff and i really want you to do that please do that enjoy your time in nature that's what you're here for and be mindful about the fact that noise carries when the sun starts going down so should the volume of your sight others around you could be trying to go to sleep early for work the next day. Not everyone is on vacation all the time. Or they could be going to sleep early so they can go on like a sunrise hike or just because sleep is magic and we all need more of it. So if you're listening to music, that's great. Enjoy it. Have fun. And then when you notice the darkness creeping in, maybe lower the volume so that it stays within the darkness of your own sight and doesn't go off into your neighbor's sight and keep them up. Generators are another uh, highly controversial topic. Um, I don't have one and I've never had one, so I can't personally speak too much to their merits, but I know that I never want to hear one rumbling all night long. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons people might be using a generator. If you're using a generator to keep cool in the summertime, turn it off, open more windows. Put a wet washcloth on your chest or your neck or your back. Find ways to stay cool without drowning out the sounds of nature. Uh, if it's winter time and you're using a generator to stay warm, turn it off. Put up another, put on another sweater, maybe a beanie, make some tea. Hot water bottles are a really great, great way to stay warm during the night. Um, and cooking will warm up your rig uh, much more efficiently than anything else and you get to eat. If you're using a generator to watch TV, turn it off and go outside. That's why you're out here in the first place, right? Generators should kind of be treated like stereos. Like fine but annoying during the day. Unacceptable at night unless sustaining like a CPAP or some other kind of life-saving device. And if that's the case, take more care to camp away from others. And maybe camp in campgrounds where you have full hookups and you don't really need a generator because you can just plug in.
Rule number three of being a good neighbor is to leash your dogs. And I soapbox about this one all the dang time, but I'm going to keep doing it because I keep seeing people not following these basic principles of respect for others and nature. So unless your dog is 100% reliable on voice command and you have full awareness of where he or she is at all times, keep them on a leash when other dogs are around and maybe even if other dogs are not around. Untrained dogs can get themselves into a lot of trouble if unleashed in the wilderness. There are cacti that will stab them and there are animals that will attack them and there are bacteria-laden water holes that will dehydrate them and, you know, there could be other dogs around who might not be as excited to meet another canine running through their camp. I'm going to go ahead and assume that you know your dog and their level of training, so you know leave them off leash when you feel that it's more than safe to do so, but if you see other dogs around, especially dogs who are leashed, leash yours too. Don't let them wander into the woods unattended. Don't let them wander into other camps unattended. Don't let them eat dead animals or poop or trash or whatever. You're not going to enjoy dispersed camping if it leads to vet bills after every visit. So that's kind of my basic overview of finding dispersed camping, being a good steward, and being a good neighbor. If you have more suggestions for any of these topics, leave them in the comments, send me a little message. And if you want more info on that, you know, whole advanced dispersed finding like techniques and tips and things, schedule a mini session with me. Um, I'll leave the link in the description as well, and we can dive deeper into it once I have determined that you're a good steward and a good neighbor. But again, thank you all for being a part of the Deliberate Living show. I'm not going to go into my usual spiel that I do at the end of the show because I did it at the beginning about, you know, subscribing and liking and all of that. I'm not going to go into it because you already know. But thank you all for being here and uh, tune in next week for another excellent episode and let me know where you're going to disperse camp this summer. Bye! We've reached the end of this episode of Deliberate Living. You can find the show notes and everything we referenced over on my website, and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts on YouTube or sign up for email updates every time something new is published. I'll see you next time on Deliberate Living, and until then, keep your life on the DL too.